0: Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. The Philistines were assembling at Mikmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. And from 1 Samuel 15, 1 to 3. Samuel said to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys." From 1 Samuel 157 to 23 Then Samuel attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king, because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. Saul. he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them out from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and I brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. And then from Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Thank you, Peter, for reading all that
1: for us. Good morning. Isn't those such happy passages about Saul? Go out and kill people, woo! Uh, yeah, that gets you excited on a Sunday morning, doesn't it? Gets you all happy. Just read about. All this sort of stuff, good fun. Good morning, my name is Ben, uh, I am one of the youth pastors here at Cary, and if you don't uh, find myself familiar, it's probably because you rarely would see me here, uh, as I normally worship with our Forestdale congregation, over uh, seven minutes up the road, uh, and also at Fusion on Sunday nights here. So uh, because of that, I'm usually not here with you guys, but it's I feel like a cousin that's come to visit their their other cousins, uh, you know, because we're all family, part of the same church. It's great to be with you this morning, I, I love being here with you. Um little bit about myself. Uh, I'm Ben, I'm married to Shelby, I have no kids, I have one dog uh, and you know I work here and it's, it's fantastic. I just finished my studies at Vos. I've been celebrating, it's been fantastic. Brian's telling me I need to come back and study more, I'm saying just a little break please, just a little break. Eight years is a long time uh, but you know it's, it's good. Hey, uh, we are doing a two week mini series on King Saul. And last week, if you were here, uh, Pastor Pete came up and he spoke about Saul's rise to the kingship. And uh, he, he discovered in, in the text of 1 Samuel, in the, in the first half of it, uh, he found that Saul was called by God to a purpose, that, that leading the nation as the king. And uh, he had mixed qualifications, uh, he had opposition in front of him, but God provided the tools he needed to succeed in that role. Uh, So Saul was called, and he had mixed qualifications. He had opposition, but God provided the tools. And then Peter worked all that through and worked out that we, too, are called by God to a particular purpose. We have mixed qualifications. We're going to have opposition. But God gives us the tools to uh, succeed in our calling as well. I have a bit of a calling at the moment. Uh, I'm on a weight loss journey. I've finally bit the bullet and said, you know what, I've been up and down for a long time. I need to get my health under control. I have gone and I've signed up with Jenny Craig. Now, think what you will of Jenny Craig. But so far this year, I've lost 17 kilos, which is great. Thank you. Uh, I don't share that number to get the clap, but uh, I know it could be so much more. Because you see, the the thing with Jenny Craig is I go in, I hang out with Cheryl. Cheryl's my consultant, and she talks with me, and we we map out what I'm going to eat for the whole week. It's great. I love structure. I get a chart on my fridge that tells me this afternoon, I'm going home, I'm eating a pasta verdi with a little bit of tuna. Tonight, I get a roast chicken with vegetables. It's like a good treat. Tomorrow, I'm going to eat a pie. It's fantastic. You get good food, and I'm losing weight. It's great. And and the thing is, with Cheryl, I sit down and we sort out. Okay, you're going to eat this food. This is your exercise plan for the week. Uh, here's what, what's what's the struggles going to be. What, what's going to come up that's going to maybe distract you from the food. And I'll say, oh, you know, like Wednesday nights I go and I have dinner with my, my in-laws and, and he's a fantastic cook. So I have to be really careful how I pick the food off the, off the buffet in the middle of the table onto my plate. Uh, I'll tell her, you know what, I've got youth on Friday night and we just give those guys chips. so I've got to make sure that I'm trying to not take many chips in that. And we just talk about, you know, what are the struggles going to be that week? And if I do follow the plan, if I do do well with the struggles... I get to the, to the weight loss day, we weigh in every week, and I look down the scales, and I lose weight, and it's great, and oh, happy day, oh, happy, I'm singing in my head. Cheryl's like, what are you doing, some Christian or something? Um, that's right, I have told her, I've been trying to share with her, but we're getting there. Uh, and I look at the scales, there's great, lost weight. But if I succumb to the distractions, this week we had a senior leaders meeting on Friday where I got my youth group leaders together, and uh, I just want to love on them, so I, I gave them Pastor Nick's favourites, mint slice, Gave them some favorites. We had a chimney out the back, so we were cooking marshmallows. Uh, These are just the leftovers. Can you imagine how much these guys ate? There's a bag of box of Pringles, more marshmallows, a crunchy. Those distractions, if they stay in my house, there was more yesterday. That meeting was on Friday. I ate all the Maltesers. They were good distractions. They were good distractions, so I'm kind of aware that uh, on Tuesday, I'm going to go in to my weight loss consultancy, I'm going to stand on those scales, and I'm going to be stoking at that number, I'm just going to be singing, I've seen you move, you've gone down before, and I know you can do it again, come on. Um, You know, it's the old worship pastor in me trying to come out again, I'm auditioning for you, Austin. I know that when I've succumbed to those distractions, my goal isn't actually quite being achieved. When, I, when I'm following what, what Cheryl has set out for me, what Jenny Craig has laid out for me, my goals are achieved really well. When I struggle, off and go and try and do it on my own. When I try and when I let that stuff into my house, uh, my goals don't quite get met. Maybe just think on that for a minute. I'll leave those there. They'll distract you while I'm talking. It's good. So last week we saw Saul arise to the kingship. And, and if you've uh, read further in First Samuel before and, and you're aware of the kingship history of Israel, you, you'll know that Saul is unfortunately not remembered for maintaining greatness in his reign. He, unfortunately, is kind of looked at sometimes by some people as, you know what, he might have failed a little bit. And we, we just heard in these two stories here, two instances when Samuel, the prophet, said to, said to Saul, you know what, God's decided you're not good enough anymore, you're, you are failing as a king. And, and that's really sad for Saul. And, and uh, oh man, it just breaks my heart a little bit. And the, the things in Saul's life that just that caused God to say, you know what, I'm not going to let you stay as king. I mean, he, he was king until he died, but the kingship was taken from him in terms of God decided to anoint David, and David was going to become the next king. Saul's line was not going to continue, it just disappeared from his family. And so, what I want to try and explore today is what went wrong for Saul. And uh, if we read through that back half of 1 Samuel, from about th- chapter 13 onwards, we, we can see a steady decline in, in his reign and in his life and what's going on. Uh, and perhaps the, the way Saul is represented in here is maybe it's because of the way the, the guys who wrote this history book were like, you know what, Saul didn't quite live up, we don't want to record any good things about him, we don't want people to follow him. So maybe they wrote just the bad parts about Saul, who knows. But even so, the, the pattern I've picked up in here. The pattern that I'm seeing in these texts is is that Saul is repeatedly choosing to follow his own plans, uh, repeatedly not trusting God the way Samuel has told him to trust God, and instead of following God's plans and trusting God to succeed through him, he's trying to do it himself, and and things just don't quite meet the mark, and stuff doesn't quite work. And so Peter read those two massive passages for us, and uh, let's examine a couple of things in those, see what we can pull out about Saul this morning. That first one was chapter 13. Uh, It shows us Saul becoming impatient and trying to accelerate God's plan, taking matters into his own hands. Because you see, there was this battle going on. Saul has amassed his army, brought his nation together, unified them as king. And uh, the Philistines, they are this nation just next door, and they're starting to impose themselves. They're starting to invade a little bit. There comes to a point where the, the Philistine army is on one hill. Uh, Saul and his army is met at Gilgal, and, and there's going to be a battle. They, they know it's going to happen. Now, Saul, he's very aware of his, of his nation's history. He's very aware of his responsibility. He's very aware that when the Israelites came in and took the land of Canaan, they learned very quickly that it wasn't their military power or their amazing ability to fight that got them the winning of that land. It was the fact that they trusted in God and God went before them and God won the victory. Nothing they could do. It was God working through them. And so they knew that they needed to seek God's blessing for this battle before they went in. And so Saul, he's getting ready. He sees... His armies come together, he sees the Philistines, and he's like, all right, we've got to get a blessing on this before we go, go get Samuel the prophet. And you might be going, why didn't Saul just pray himself, which he did in the end, why didn't Saul just, you know, why did he send for Samuel? You've got to remember, uh, back in these days, Saul was anointed as the king, Samuel was anointed as the priest and prophet, and uh, we today have Jesus as a great high priest interceding on our behalf, so we have direct access to God ourselves, but for them... Uh, you could only get to God through the priests. So, he went to get uh, Samuel to come in, so that Samuel could intercede on behalf of the army, plead on behalf of the nation that, God, would you go before us, defeat the Philistines for us, because we know we can't do this without you. And uh, so, Samuel sends word back, yep, come back, I'll come there in a week, give me seven days and I'll be there. Can you imagine how Saul would have felt? I see the army, they're right there, seven days... And his soldiers are probably feeling that too, because the text says they're just starting to walk off. They're, they're disappearing. And Saul's getting frustrated. He's like, my army is dwindling. It's getting smaller. He's waited seven days now. His army's probably maybe half the size it was. And he's like, Samuel hasn't turned up. We've got to do something. We've got to go fight, but we can't do without the blessing. So he says, stuff Samuel, I'm doing it. And he makes a sacrifice, prays to God for the blessing. And as he finishes, Samuel rocks up. And he's furious. And Saul's like, what gives, man? And Samuel's like, no, you've stepped over the mark. You are not the person to make these sacrifices. It's the role of the priest. Don't get in the way. Don't do what you're supposed to be doing. And, and uh, it, it's just this idea that, that Saul has, has not actually done something wrong in terms of like, he's, he's doing the right thing, waiting for Samuel, but Samuel didn't come. So he's gone, all right, let's, let's try and do this. I'm going to seek God's blessing. I know that's the right thing to do. But what Samuel gets angry about is, that wasn't your job, Saul. That wasn't for you to do. The plan was, I will come, I will make the sacrifices. This is how God has set it out for us as a nation. And you can see Saul's almost got it there. He almost waited enough time. He was trying to do the right thing, but he, he just didn't quite follow through the way the plan was. And you might be going, this is just ridiculous. Why are you going on about this? But I think what's at the heart here is not the fact that Saul just jumped in and did the, the blessing. I think it's about Saul was maybe being tested in his faith about trusting God and in God's timing. He, uh, he wasn't supposed to be going to see God's blessing just like a magic genie. It, it almost looks like Saul's going, come on, we need the blessing so we can go fight. I'm not allowed to fight until I can do this. I have to get all the ducks in place. But if he just waited and trusted God, that would have shown a different side of his heart. And he would have seen, okay, I'm trusting for what God has set in motion. I'm trusting for where Samuel is going to come. And, and as the representative of God in our nation, he's going to, to, to set us aside. He's going to pray for us. He's going to lay this all out for us. There He was to understand it. He knew the success wasn't just going to be his, but he just wasn't quite getting it. And Samuel condemns Saul for this wrong attitude that he had, this this slightly off kilter. And he prophesies that, you know what, God's going to take the kingdom away from you. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. But I reckon God already knew this was just the start of where Saul was just starting to deviate from the path. And that was just one story of Saul. If you jump into chapter 15, which we also read out, we see an example of where Saul just getting further and further off track. And he's been distracted into sinning, and he tries to cover it up. As you heard in that story, um, Samuel was given a message by God saying, you know what? I demand holiness to my people. I'm a jealous God. I want my people to worship me only. These Malachites nearby, they're starting to influence my people. They're starting to introduce them to idols, to foreign gods, to all sorts of wickedness. We need to get rid of them. And, and uh, that sounds really cruel in our modern context. Oh, just go kill the next door neighbors because they're getting in the way. But you've got to remember, this is ancient Israel, ancient cultures. This was a a, a natural thing for them. If God told them, get rid of what's causing you to sin, they would just go get rid of it. So, they were given the message, go and wipe out the Amalekites. And don't just kill the people, just destroy them. Destroy any part of them so they would have no influence on you at all. Kill every person, kill every animal, get rid of everything they own, burn everything to the ground, let nothing be left. And so, Saul goes out and he goes into the battle... He doesn't quite follow those instructions to the letter. He takes their king, their King Agog, don't know why, maybe he wanted to hold him for ransom, maybe he took pity on him, maybe he was just like, oh you know, fellow King Code, Uh, kept Agog alive. On top of that, he also went, hey these are sheep and these are, these are cows, these are good, let's take them for us. And he took them back to the camp and I think the problem here is not just the issue that Saul disobeyed the instructions and kept a king alive and and took the animals, I think the problem here, I mean, what's the problem with a bit of cow food? What's the problem with a bit of leather, a bit of wool? That the problem is he uh, didn't wipe out the entire Amalekite people's influence on his country. They kept the king alive. They took these sheep and these cows. They were still just part of a legacy of a nation that was influencing God's nation down the wrong path. They needed to get rid of all parts of this. It's, It's like if I keep this box of favorites, I'm just leaving these for Ignite on Friday. If I keep them in my house, I'm just going to keep eating them. And it's the same for Saul and these people. If they keep these sheep and cattle, it's a reminder of what the Amalekites were teaching them, and it's not going to be put out of their mind. And so Saul come, um, Samuel comes up to Saul and goes, did you follow the instructions? And Saul's like, yeah, yeah, I did. And Samuel's like, I can hear the mooing and the bleating of the sheep just behind you. Do you want to try that answer again? I've got kids at youth group that sometimes will just mess up and do the wrong thing, and uh, there was one time late last year where they decided to break out of the, the boundaries they were supposed to be kept within because we did need to keep supervision on them. They went and ran amok somewhere, got to school on Monday and discovered what they had done. Uh, so we had to go out and try and discipline these young kids. And uh, we worked out who they were and we went up to them and we said, all right, guys, do you want to explain what you did last Friday night, breaking out of the boundaries, doing this stuff? And they're like, no, sir, that wasn't us. What are you talking about? We're like, yes, you did. No, sir, what are you talking about? Here's the video footage of you doing what you did on Friday night. Do you want to change your story? Ah, yes, sir. It's just, you know, Saul, he's got the evidence right in front of him, and he's trying to lie to Samuel and say, yeah, I did everything I was supposed to do. Saul tried to blame it on his soldiers. He's like, ah, it was just the guys who took it. But Samuel knows Saul is responsible for his soldiers. He's like, guys, you're in charge, Saul. You tell your soldiers what they're supposed to be doing. Make sure they're sticking in line. Saul had the authority to stop this, but he didn't. That's just another example of Saul not quite meeting the mark. He's trying to do it himself. He's like, these this cattle would be great for us, but God said, no, wipe this all out. And so he's slowly on this path. And if you read through the rest of Samuel, you just see Saul becoming more and more angry, more and more doing things in his own strength, more and more doing things of his own plans, rather than listening to God. He ends up pushing Samuel aside, uh, and he just stops seeking God for how to lead in his own reign. And God decides, that's it, you are no longer king. So what is it that has gone wrong for him? What has gone wrong? Uh, He's been called to be the king of this nation, but he seems to just keep getting rebuked for his actions. And uh, these two stories looked at today, Saul's not completely against God here, he's trying to do the right thing, but what he's trying to do is do it in his own strength, and he's just doing it wrong and not missing the mark. Now, you might be sitting there and you might know the story of King David, the, the guy who succeeded Saul, the guy that God anointed instead of Saul, and say, wait, didn't David mess up a few times? How come he got to stay as king? What's going on here? And, and um, to be honest, I'm not God. I don't know the reasons God chooses to do things sometimes. But what I do see, but if I look at the life of Saul and the life of David, is this. David, by contrast to Saul, yeah, he messed up. But he was continually chasing after God's heart, seeking after God, We have records of his psalms and his prayers to God saying, God, I keep messing up, but would you change me from the inside out? I want to be the man you want me to be. I want to be following you, God. I know that you are king, not me. I want you to be leading these people. God, would you change me from the inside out? And so when we see David, that sort of attitude in his heart, that's the sort of person God wants leading his nation. Whereas you see Saul, yeah, he was like, oh, no, woe is me. God, please forgive me. But he just went out and did the wrong thing again over and over and just eventually shut God out of his own life. God doesn't want that person leading His nation. And so, in my opinion, that's what I think is the difference between King Saul gets rejected and why King David is remembered as this greatest king of Israel and he gets to be part of the lineage of Jesus. And the juxtaposition of these two stories kind of reflect a similar situation we can face ourselves. I mean, the difference of these two stories is the evidence of their position of their heart towards God. And, and uh, just the story of one man who was chasing after God and a man who continually lived doing it his own way, doing it in his own strength. Yes, he had the ideals to go and do what God called him to do, but he was doing it his own way, not following God's plan. And so I'm going to sit here and tell you these stories a lot, but I want to wonder, what does this mean for us practically today? Because we, we uh, can read these stories and go, man, that was like 4,000 years ago or however long it was. I wasn't paying attention that well at, at Vos, Maybe I do have to go back, Brian. It's probably two and a half thousand years ago. Let's see that. Uh, But how do we apply that to us? And so that's why I asked Peter to read out Galatians 5 as well. And uh, I preached a sermon at Fusion two weeks ago out of Galatians 5, so this stuff is really fresh in my mind. Uh, But I think it has hammered home this same idea of the fact that we need to be doing stuff in God's strength and letting God transform us and chasing after God rather than trying to do things our own way. Because we are called to live by God's Spirit. Paul says there, right in Galatians, Jesus has set you free from sin. God, Jesus' work on the cross, what He did uh, by, setting us, by defeating sin and setting us free from it, we no longer have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to naturally be in the mindset of sinning. We can now be followers of Jesus and choose to defeat sin in our lives, live actively against it. And so, like Pete said last week, we are called to a particular purpose by God. That's on a macro level. Let's think about our micro personal level. We are called to live by God's Spirit. But if you've been living as a Christian for anything more than five minutes, you'll know that's not quite straightforward. You know that sin still pops up in our life. And uh, why is that? How come when we become a Christian, we don't just automatically switch and we're just amazingly awesome, beautiful Christians that never sin? Why is that? And I think it's because of this tension that Paul talks about in Galatians 5 of a battle within ourselves between living for God's Spirit and the sinful nature that is still part of us. While sin has been defeated and, and we don't have to follow that anymore, it's still there. And we have to actively work against it in our lives to follow Jesus. Now, you might be sitting here going, ah, so you're telling me this is a works-based faith. I just need to stop doing my sin and work really hard. Uh, Are you saying that I need to go sit in my bedroom every morning and pray to God really hard? Okay, God, today I'm just going to not do the bad things. Uh, I'm going to do the right things. God, please help me in that. Good, let's go. Uh, No, that's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, Let me take this a slightly, little bit deeper, because while this tension is the battle we are facing, I don't think it's about uh, whether we are doing the right things or whether we're doing the wrong things, but I think it's about our attitude of our heart, of which power we are following. Are we actually chasing after God's Spirit and what He wants for us, or are we just letting our sinful nature take over and win? I think it's a state of total surrender to God, a state of being with God, not doing for God, When we're being with God and we are following God and chasing after His Spirit, the doing the right thing comes naturally afterwards. When we get soaked in His presence, when we're soaking in in His Word and letting His Word wash over us, when we're letting God speak into our lives, when we surrender to Him and say, you know what, God? You can take control of my life. You can be king of my life. God, I'm going to let you dictate what's important in my life. I'm going to let you dictate how I'm going to live. If we're letting God be the one that's in charge for us, totally surrendering to Him, Then acting the way God wants us to act is just going to be second nature for us. But if I'm on this side going, oh, God tells me I have to do this, have to do this, have to do this, I don't have to not do that, not do that, not do that, that's gonna be all about what I can do for God. And it's not actually the way God wants us to work. I, I don't I don't think. Let me let me look at this another way. Surrender, the word I just used there, it's a strong word. Giving ourselves over to God's authority. If you think about a nation who surrenders to another nation, they might have been in battle and then, like, Australia surrenders to New Zealand and New Zealand now uh, is in charge of us. It's not like we go, okay, New Zealand, we've surrendered to you, uh, you now have your say over us and how we have to use our laws. It's not like we can just suddenly go, ah, but just wait a sec. we we're just going to do our own thing over here now. No, New Zealand would have total say over how we live our, our, our lives in this nation. The same way with God, if we say, God, I'm going to totally surrender to you, I'm going to chase after what you say, I'm going to be following your spirit, but just let me go back to my sinful nature over here. I'm just going to play over here for a little bit, God. That's not really total surrender to God, is it? And so what I'm seeing as I'm examining this passage from Paul and and having these epiphanies about this, is there's distractions in my sinful nature trying to pull me away from keeping my focus on God. So there's these two powers that we're competing for our attention. The Spirit of God, His voice that is speaking to us, and our sinful nature that's trying to distract us from it. And it's easy for us to be trying to be, it's easy for us to get distracted by that sinful nature, because it's just present all around us. We live in a fallen, sinful world, and this sinful world has lots of temptations around us. That's why we need to try and get as much of it out of our sight as possible, but at the same time, we still live in it. I still have to live around this stuff, to be able to work on my weight loss journey, but my job is to try and keep a focus on my plan so that I can avoid it. Same way with God. I need to keep listening to His voice. I need to keep listening to God. I need to be continually reading this book, this Bible that He's given me. I need to be spending time praying to God. I need to spend time listening to God as well so that I can hear His voice, hear what He wants to say in my life so that I can follow the way God wants me to live. But if I get distracted, it almost seems like God's just so far away. And I wonder, where did God go? My dad enjoys telling me a story. Um, you know those times your parents try to gross you out uh, and they just tell you like how lovey-dovey they are or they try and kiss in front of you, and you're like, Mom, Dad, no, that's not what parents do. I was bought from a stork catalog. Um, my dad likes to tell me a story about when they were first married, my parents, and they owned this car with a bench seat in the front. Uh, if you remember bench seats, they're, they're not two individual seats, but just one bench seat, like a back seat in the front seat. You can fit three people across. And uh, when they had this car, dad would often be the driver and he'd sit there with the steering wheel. Mum would get in the passenger seat, slide across, sit right up next to my dad, and they'd be all lovey-dovey, all cute, you know, newlyweds. Oh, isn't that nice? And they'd drive along like that. And they did that quite often. A few months went by. Um, You know, familiarity starts to form. They're getting in the car and Mum's sitting in the passenger side and she looks over at my dad and goes, do you remember when we first got this car, we used to sit right next to each other and it was all cute and stuff? Whatever happened? Dad looked down at his steering wheel and he goes, I didn't move. And the thing that this story tells me, I mean, as, as much as it grosses me out because much my parents, ill, uh, you know, I have moved past that. It's, you know That was my teenage reaction to that story. But the thing it reminds me of is God doesn't move away from us. It's usually us that moves away from God. We listen to the distractions and we slide across to the other side of the seat. Or sometimes we might try and kick God out of the driver's seat. Maybe sometimes we're like, you know what, God, I can do a better job. Maybe I'm not going to defeat all those uh, sheep and cattle. Maybe I'm just going to take some for myself and put them in the boot. Maybe I'm going to keep some of that around. And it leads me to this comparison that Paul's got here in Galatians. He gives us two lists describing the kind of behavior that we might expect from different ways of living. And he's given these two lists. Uh, One is listing out all the um, four different categories of sins. He's got uh, a whole bunch of them. He's got, what have we got here? Uh, sins, taking things to the excess, like sexual sins, religious sins, social sins, drinking sins, taking things, um, like, way beyond what they should be in our lives, just gratify ourselves, putting things uh, above God in our life as importance. And, uh, and, and I think that if I'm going to sit here and preach to you, all right, these are the wrong things to do, but here's the fruit of the Spirit, this is what we should do, I think that's going to miss the point of what I'm even trying to say, let alone what Paul tries to say. I think what he gives here, not just an example of how we should and shouldn't live, But actually the result of what happens if we're listening to God, or if we're letting ourselves be distracted by the sinful nature. And here's why I think this. Paul lists the acts of the sinful nature there in Galatians 5. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are doing all these things, but the life that follows the Spirit results in this kind of fruit. And he says, if you're living by the Spirit, the fruit that appears in your life will be this, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness. And there's a difference in language that I noticed there. Fruit sort of suggests to me it's not my responsibility to go out and just start trying to love people, because that's going to be in my own strength. But if I'm listening to God and chasing after Him, if I'm letting His Spirit fill me and change me and transform me from the inside out, then as a result of that, the love, the joy, the peace is going to be flowing out of me. And so, if I sit back and take a, a step back of my life and look at it objectively and go, all right, how do I know when I'm listening to the Spirit? How do I know when I'm getting distracted? I know that I'm listening to the Spirit when I see things like love, peace, kindness, gentleness, the fruits of the Spirit flow out of my life. If I look and see where I I think the distractions of sinful nature are winning, that's when I see the hatred, the jealousy, the discourse, the idolatry, all just pouring out of my life. And I'm like, maybe this is just an example of if I let God transform me and let God be the King of my life, Maybe the way that He wants me to live is going to be naturally there. It's just more example. This makes Christianity easy for me, almost, because it's not a power that I do to try and live better. It's actually I chase after God. That's my responsibility. Chase after God. He will transform me. The good works come out naturally. And so, this tension we live in, sinful nature versus God, we need to surrender ourselves to God. We need to let God win that battle. We need to let ourselves actually turn and listen to what God has to say, try to shut out the distractions. They're there, we live amongst it, we minister to people around us that are in it, but we need to make sure we keep the headphones of God's voice in our minds. So if we go back to Saul, I wonder if this might have been Saul's issue. Because he took his eyes off God and placed them on his ambitions as king. I wonder if that's what happened. I wonder what his story might have looked like if he had been a man that chased after God's heart like David's did. I wonder what Saul's story might have looked like so we can see Saul's life started out uh, with, with just these small little deviations from God's path, but it, it festered and it grew to the point where he, he no longer had this, this vision of God's, but it was just all about himself and he's like, oh man, I know David's going to be king, I'm going to get out and try and kill him so I can stay as king. Uh, he even gets to the point where eventually he's like, you know what, I need to turn and find some higher power. Samuel's dead, I could turn to God, or I could go to a medium and try and get her to call up the dead spirit of Samuel, let's go that way, Yeah! Can you see how fast Saul's gone? He's not even going back to God. He's trying to chase after, you know, Samuel gave me good advice. He's going to try and call up his dead spirit. And, and even when that works, he gets rebuked again. And Samuel's like, what the heck are you doing? That's pretty crazy. The same could be said of us. If God's called us to live for Him or called us to a purpose that He wants us, the way He wants us to live or what He wants us to achieve, I think it's going to be far more effective and God's going to be able to do way more in our lives if we are living for Him and living the way He wants us to live, chasing after Him, letting Him fill us, following what He wants us to do, instead of doing it in our own strength and the way we want to do it. We need to let God work through us. We need to let God work through us. I mean, I, I can see many times in my life where I, I see God has put a vision in front of me. I go and try and achieve it. But if I'm doing it myself, it just, you know, it kind of works. It's kind, it's kind of there. But it's not really everything it, it could have been. But those times when I actually seek after God and say, God, how would you do this? How would you let me maybe take a step back? And you're still working through me. I still have to go out and do the work that I have to do. But if I'm doing it God's way, things just seem to work so much better. I see so much more fruit in the, in the ministry that I'm doing with these young people. I see so much more, success seems like the wrong word, but I, I see so much more fruit in what's going on around me if I'm letting God be the one that's in control rather than me trying to go out and just do it all myself. And you know what? When I do try and do it myself... I just get tired. I get so burnt out. But if I do it God's way, yeah, it's hard work, but you know what? It's so much more satisfying, it's so much more successful and, and it's just, you know, God is able to achieve more things through me than if I'm trying to do it myself. And if I'm trying to do it myself and I'm not doing it the way God wants me to, maybe He's going to go off and do it somewhere else. Maybe I lost my opportunity, I don't know. But do you see the difference in our strength, we're going to miss the mark. And the, the other side, if we're doing it in God's strength, He lets us participate in what He's trying to do. And I'm pretty sure God, as God, has much better plans than I do. So I'm suggesting this morning, let's keep our focus on God. Are you going to be like Saul, or are you going to be like David? Are you going to be like Saul, who, who has a purpose and has been called to something by God, but just tries to do it his own way? Or are you going to be like David, who, yes, has been called by God, is trying to do it God's way. Yes, he does stuff up. But in those stuff-up moments, he doesn't just run away. He goes, God, take me back. God, transform me. Change me. Make me into the sort of person you want me to be. Let's just focus ourselves on God's Spirit. Put God in in control of our lives. Let God's voice be louder than our own. So that we might follow Him and live the way God has called us to live. So that we might be able to live out the purpose He has called us to. And so that we can see what God can accomplish through us if we let Him. He's given us His Holy Spirit to empower us, to guide us and encourage us. He's given us the tools to succeed in this. It's not that hard. It just requires us to actually put aside those distractions and put our focus on God. Let's pray together. God, I want to just thank You so much for Your Holy Spirit, that gift that You gave us, so that we could uh, go through this life living the way You want us to live, with a guidance, with an encouragement, with an empowerment to do what You've called us to do. God, as we consider the things you've called us to do in our own lives, would you help us to keep our focus on you? God, yes, if we do fall away, just help us to come back to you closely. Help us to uh, let you transform us. God, would your Holy Spirit fill each one of us here this morning and let us see what it means to follow your spirit, to follow your voice, so that as we're transformed by you, we can actually live out the way you called us to live, and that stuff from you would flow out of us. God, help us to continually be filled up by you, not let us be distracted, not let us be emptied by ourselves, but to keep our focus on you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.